Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another thrilling, tantalising episode of the Bond Daft Project. Bittersweet in that actually this is going to be, technically this could be their last film review. We've really got uh, one more still after this that's still to be released. God knows when that's going to happen. But for now, we're going to be reviewing Spectre, 2015's James Bond film release. Um, so yeah, bittersweet to say this is the last one, guys. This is the We're closing to the end of the project. Still the rankings to go. I joined, of course, by my usual Bond aficionados, Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. Gordon Webster. Good afternoon, Commander Barry. And Steve McCall. A very good afternoon to you all. Good afternoon to you guys. Good seeing you. It's been a while. We've kind of broken these up recently and the last few have kind of big gaps. So uh, some big news, Steve. I hope it's okay for me to, to sort of just say <laughs> congratulations on air. I don't know if, if you're if that's you're cool with no, that i can take out that is, that is absolutely cool I, I was if if this podcast had been a week or so earlier i was just gonna completely throw it at you in the kind of <laughs> yeah. what have you been up to chat just literally because i wanted the reaction to be kind of on audio because i thought it'd be funny oh but you're oh I that's kept, actually a shame. That, would have been, that would have been insane actually <laughs> just gonna I... drop it oh I've, I've been watching this film yeah <laughs> oh yeah and i've got a kid yeah. on the way with oh yeah so how, how are you guys <laughs> fantastic yep steve Congratulations to you and Julia. This is fantastic news. Uh, a young Bond aficionado will be joining <laughs> joining us down I'll the line. Be <laughs> Congratulations, brilliant news. Uh, Fran, how, we'll start with you. What's been going on? Uh, kind of got a brief catch up. We've got a lot to, to cover, so we'll keep this kind of brief. But how have you been? Yeah, I've been fine. Um, working away in the school. Um, it's been very busy. It's kind of interesting with obviously the whole COVID situation. Um, you know, to be in a, an environment like that with the different rules that they've got in, you know, uh, to try and control it. Other than that, I haven't really had any time to to kind of sit and consume media the way that I would have done before. Although I have been watching Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated show All right. uh, that had come out recently, uh, which is brilliant. It's really funny, uh, but it's not... It's kind of like if you took Rick and Morty and mixed it with Star Trek, mm. but it's not. it's not slapsticky too much it's it, it's 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 hard to describe but it's a really good show so that's the only thing i've really been watching and um in terms of what i've been up to i've just been working my ass off pretty much but that's it cool good stuff good stuff steve obviously the we've talked about your main news but how have you been anyway how's things uh that's been my relatively big change i should say but yeah beyond that it's all been good uh, i've been working basically solidly up until now so i've got about three weeks of holiday to take which is all good um, beyond working and stuff, I managed to take a little bit of time out to do a bit of telly watching. I finally started watching a series on Netflix called Designated Survivor. Don't know if any of you guys oh. have seen or heard about this. Yeah, yeah, I watched the first season. I think I started the second as well. I don't know, can't remember why we didn't finish it. What, where, where are you in that? Um, literally about six episodes in, right. I think. Mm. Um, but it's it's brilliant. I'm kind of hooked on it. I really like the um, the, the premise is interesting. So it's it's Kiefer Sutherland as basically a low-ranking U.S. government official who, when the U.S. president makes a State of the Union address, one cabinet member gets left behind in a secure location in case, for some reason, there's a massive terror attack and it wipes out the entire cabinet. So, obviously, what happens in this is that there's a massive terror attack and it wipes <laughs> yeah. out the entire cabinet. Yeah. And 
this kind of low-level uh, housing minister, effectively. It's, it's, it's interesting. He goes in, he, basically, so he's played by Kiefer Sutherland, and he then becomes the de facto president. And he goes in as this kind of almost Jeremy Corbyn-type caring, oh, let's use diplomacy, let's do everything nicely. <laughs> yeah. And then within a few days, yeah. he's making decisions on national security that even the most right-wing of conservatives would approve of. So it's really interesting so far. So I'm looking forward to that. But that's been my kind of main... Uh, television watching yeah but yeah beyond that all has been good excellent good stuff gordon how's things good good and on that steve um yeah Kiefer sutherland like, i just love to watch anything that he's in been a, a big 24 fan it's, it's interesting that imagining him actually been part of the government because in 24 he's the he's the guy who just um goes against authority as, as an agent is, and <laughs> ignores what his orders and things like that it's just I like anything with him. Yeah, I've, I've been doing good, uh, working quite a lot, and um, yeah, watching quite a few films. Football's back, which is sometimes good, keeping me busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, watched a couple of the Bond uh, making of documentaries, a few, a few kind of um, wheels in motion for my next probably book railway project, but kind of hard at the moment to to really to really commit to anything because I don't really know what the next few months are going to hold. So that to think about in a you know future move what the um, hell was I, that your laptop i think that was shutting down or something did somebody um, play a trombone or something <laughs> i told you stop playing that trombone <laughs> mr barry's brought his band with him <laughs> also do you know what i watched if you any i saw um timothy dalton our old friend in penny dreadful i only started watching that a couple of weeks ago have you seen that no, I'm not. No. Yeah, it's it's real dark. I mean, it's for me the sort of things I'm into. It's going against the grain a little bit. And I'm I'm playing catch up because I've started the first series and I don't even know if I would watch it all, but because it's a, a sort of like dark alternate reality program. It's quite quite violent, and I don't. It's not the sort of thing. It's the sort of thing that's good for me in small doses. I can't see myself watching one episode then watching an nursery after another. It's like I need. It's a lot to take in, and then I need like a week's break or whatever, and then to go back to it. But it's it's really fascinating that sort of stuff. I've never been a big sort of horror fan. It's 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 kind of a horror season in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. yeah. Victorian era. But there's something very um, magnetic about it, and he's great in it as well. Um, and obviously, and Josh Hart, and it's like Eva Green, of course, as well, who played who played Vesper. Is one one of the main characters. The music's great. I, yeah, it's you'd, you'd probably enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Excellent, good stuff. Yeah, I've been okay as well. Uh, nothing much. Sorry, how are you? <laughs> yeah, it's like no one. <laughs> it's okay. I think. Well, as a host, I'll ask myself, Steve, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, mostly just been you know trucking along uh and yeah back and we're kind of going back into a kind of lock more of a lockdown state again um we've obviously still got pubs and restaurants open but it's restricted a lot of the the visitation for family and things like that which is a bit of a shame so netflix me and Anne have been watching a few more things we watched the film last night a beautiful day in the neighborhood has anyone heard of that come out i think beginning of this year or la- end of last year um tom hanks film I think I've I think I've se- I've seen it, but I've not like not seen it, but I've seen the thing on Netflix. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's there. It's a yeah, it's a fine film. It's a decent film. It's a, a drama. Uh, Tom Hanks plays Mister Rogers, which we never really got a lot of. I think that's a very American show for kids. Just a very nice man, and it's just kind of 
I don't know. It's it's a very soft spoken, lovely gentleman. And this journalist, who's the main character, um, is sent to do a kind of fluff piece on him from a magazine. He's a magazine writer, and he's known and got a rep for being very um, kind of hard on his subjects. He usually tends to kind of take a cynical view, and it's sort of um, it's an ex. He usually takes an expose style. So he went in with that mentality, hoping to get an expose in this Mr. Rogers and ruin a lot of people's chi- uh, childhoods, but was overcome by this guy's genuine niceness, um, his genuine affection for helping people and and children and things like that. And he's got his own problems going on and, and essentially kind of try, he kind of overcomes that in the film. It's, it's a drama. It's, it's a, it's a nicely positive drama. Um, that's yeah, we quite liked it. I wouldn't say it changes the world. Performances are nice. Um, and it's uh, it's some so yeah Tom Hanks again. It's not a bad film by any stretch. It's you never get a bad film with Tom Hanks. So that's pretty much yeah. that. Um, a few other films I don't want to take up most of the running time with them. Um, we're continuing with the MCU films. We've now watched Ant Man and the Wasp, um, which I actually liked first time I've seen it. And yeah, so nothing really crazy going on. We're at a ten minute mark <laughs> uh, point. So let's let's get into. The main crux of this podcast, which is obviously we're going to be going into Spectre and Bond. However, before we do that, I think we should maybe start. It's uh, a bit of a somber note to start with, but the death of Diana Rigg, uh, Dame Diana Rigg, uh, just passed away. Um, uh, yeah, this is this is this was quite sad. We've obviously had a few over the with Claudia Nogger since we've started the podcast. Um, Honor Blackman is it's about yep. three in a year, yeah. three of the real top yep. best. Honor Blackman, and now and, and and now Diana Rigg, and I think it's you could argue different you know cases for who's made as big an impact on the Bond woman, Bond girl persona in these films. I think Diana Rigg is probably the prototype for the one of the greatest strong Bond girl characters. Um, and you know very sad as well as that she had a successful career in things like the avengers and um obviously i'm i knew her really actually from game of thrones which was fascinating because this was a much later in her career um so yeah it's uh, i don't know if you guys have much to add on that other than obviously it's a, a sad sad way to start the podcast but certainly um she i think a lot of the bond girls were influenced by her i think it was maybe was it Triple X? Did she was it her that commented on that? Um, Barbara Back. The, Barbara Back. I think you mean in she, terms of referencing the, yeah, the like marriage I, and her death? Yeah. Like I think no. I think like the actresses looked at her and tried to emulate that or try and get some of that into the, what they what perceived as the character they were playing. I think because she's kind of yeah. known as the the genesis of the one that holds standing equal ground to Bond, and I think it's kind of a very original and it was what 1969 that film on her majesty's came out yeah yeah uh, i mean she, she we all went in records well before this is saying right after we watched on her majesty's that she, she was pretty much the number one or like pretty close to the top of the list out of all the supporting ladies in the films i, I thought she was fantastic and i was like recently i've still been listening to a lot of the 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 on her majesty's score and there's even just bits of that it's it's just her, you know, like the sort of saxophony bits you get with when often when there's one of the leading ladies on the screen, it's like it's get you feel Tracy when you're listening to certain songs, and she was just 
she was just so well played and she was a perfect woman for Bond. She had this impact in Bond that that no one else had, maybe. And not I mean, apart from maybe Vesper. And yeah, I mean she she was so pioneering, Diana Rigg. You look at the Avengers, like what for, you know, um in terms of leading female characters in British and American television, that that was really pioneering. Yeah, the same with Honor Blackman, obviously a similar role in that. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's sad. That, like I said, it's like three, not not just three of the the Bond girls dying in you know about a year, but three of the the very best. You yeah, know? no, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so that was Diana Rigg. It died uh, aged eighty two on the tenth of September. Um, okay, we'll now move on to Spectre. Uh, again, this is uh, the the last film that's been released, uh, and this was uh, released in 2015, the fourth of Daniel Craig's Bonds. Um, at the time, it was speculated this was his final film. Um, he wasn't guaranteed to come back. And I think it got mixed reviews and that's what then spurred them on to then try and get the next one uh, still to be released as this big final uh, final release and a kind of big, big goodbye. Um, I've seen this in the cinema uh, only once, I think. I think I th- maybe I've went back to see it twice and I overall liked it, but I had some issues with it. It does not meet Skyfall, I would say. Um, but I think that's the general consensus on this film. Have we all seen this, Steve? I know that you've not seen all of them. No, so I, I haven't seen this at all, so I'm coming to this for the first time. Yeah, excellent. And after this, you will have seen every single Bond film that's been released under the Eon uh, produced I ones anyway. I can't believe I'm saying that. That's, that's quite momentous, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll quickly go into this, obviously. So Sam Mendes is director. He's come back. This is the first time a repeat director's come back since the uh, the John Glenn films from the 80s. Um and I think this is, you know, that's good because I think some of the consistency is needed for these. The, the films have kind of been quite different over the the last few, certainly the Brosnan ones, anyway. But yeah, you're you've the same writers, Neil and uh, uh, Purvis and Wade are back. We've got um, John Logan, I think. John Logan, yep. So it's majority same writing team, and it was a huge budget. I think this is the the biggest budget they've ever had, and it was the biggest budget film of that year. I'm pretty certain something like between it was two hundred forty five to three hundred million pounds, and it made at the box office about eight hundred eighty eight point seven million or something, which is more than double. Obviously, um, it had a bit of a drop off in some countries. China was big, a huge drop off in the second week, but. Um, yeah, let's let's go into this one. Uh, Gordon, you want to give us a wee bit of the plot uh, set up for this? Yeah, obviously a, a devastating end, Steve, to Skyfall with the, the passing of M in, in Bond's arms, and she actually leaves Bond a little bit of intelligence, which rejoins us up to the thread running from Casino and Quantum. Obviously, Skyfall with a slight departure, a standalone film, it's re-picking up that thread. This um, bit of intelligence from M leads Bond back to events of the, the first couple of Craig films. And there's a Bond... It, this organisation, Quantum, behind everything that happened in the first two films may be part of something bigger. And again, there could be... Bonds had um, encountered various levels of, of villains doing all, all kinds of terrorist activities. You've got, you know, Silva, the whole um, cyber terrorism, but even 
these people could have another boss and there's again there could be something else behind the scenes and and it basically it picks up that thread the the name specter of course should be um you know quite familiar to us all and you know there was pretty pretty much was the the main the main uh, force behind the first like six or seven bond films this is the first film actually Stevenson's diamonds are forever where specter's actually been mentioned and the whole we well, I'll talk again about Kevin McClory, the fact that um he now he actually died in two thousand six. And so the reason Quantum existed as it did was because because um, Eon didn't have the rights to use the Spectre name or Blofeld, anything to do with that. Now in 2013, MGM actually finally acquired the rights to the Spectre organization, Blofeld, that whole umbrella of the, the Spectre theme. And so this is the first film that got the rights. They Really um, prominent title. Obviously, they've actually called the film Spectre. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to like a sort of good bookend. I know we've still got no time to die to come, but the the first film, uh, Doctor No, was just the perfect start. This whole adventure we've been on, if you like, for over a year. I'm looking here for the perfect sort of bookend to accompany our our introduction to Spectre. Obviously, in Doctor No and from Rush with Love, like you said, it's a huge budget for this film they, they really put a lot into it yeah definitely um just reading a couple of things about this was interesting the preamble we won't spoil it too much because it's something to be seen the preamble is fantastic of this film um it's set in mexico day of the dead apparently it actually influenced the mexican festival sort of culture around in that in the city to host a festival like the one in the film because that wasn't actually wasn't something they did um i think in that town or in that city or whatever in that district which is really interesting it's, it's quite a big impact so yeah it's it's a we've got some interested cast we've obviously got the usual uh daniel craig and, and um got ray fines returning as m um christoph waltz is main villain yep and we've got ben wishaw as q things like that so uh yeah we've also got um monica Lee. monica bellucci uh who was actually shunned i don't know if you guys remember when we were talking about tomorrow never dies the producers at the time shunned her for being seven years too old uh for the role so they've actually cast her uh in this film um which is in, which is saying something about you know um and i think she's known as the the oldest of the bond girls in her 50s or whatever which is which is kind of a bit more progressive of the franchise you can see where they're trying to go but uh, yeah we won't uh, bog down the rest of this preamble we'll get to the film i'm looking forward to watching this guys we've got into spoilerific detail um we've got a lot to talk about it'll be fun so yeah let's uh, let's get to it guys we will go and watch the film now and come back and give our thoughts thank you bye-bye And we are back from having watched Spectre. How do we feel that one went, guys? Let's start with Steve. Yeah, this this is an interesting one for me. It it felt almost like the despite the sort of pedigree and the the heritage that it referred back to and the history of Spectre and Blofeld, it felt like the least Bond Bond film. I've watched of them all. This felt like yeah. I was watching one of those psychological thrillers, yeah. if anything. It, it felt slow at parts, but it seemed not slow 
for a lack of action. It was kind of deliberately laid back. You're not going in all guns blazing. There wasn't suddenly explosions and car chases and guns being fired and whatnot. It was very, it was almost, it was almost relaxing to watch. It was very, very subtle and laid back, very subtle and low key for a film dealing with effectively the ultimate megalomaniac, of course, uh, Blofeld. But it was, it was, I mean, I didn't, I didn't not enjoy it. I did enjoy it. It just felt very different. It looked fantastic. Once That's one thing I can say about this film. The way yeah. it was shot, a lot of the backlighting. It was a very dark looking film in parts. And the way that was done, um, right from the start, from the uh, the pre-title, that long walking shot where he was walking across that rooftop, done kind of all in one shot as a kind of long panning. I, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it looked great, but it was very slow and psychological and different and I don't quite know what to make of that. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, my sentiment is that the first third of the film I really love. Um, that opening title sequence I really think is one of their best. The sort of one-shot style that Sam Mendes kind of then pioneered into uh, 1917. It's, it, it really slows down to a fault for me. The film became... I found myself nodding off a few times in the middle part of the film. Um, and also, it's so dark. I'd never noticed, remembered that previously from the cinema viewings, but I've got no curtains in my room and the glare was kind of stopping me from actually seeing something. Like, I was struggling to sort of... There was parts where I was like, what's going on there? Um, which isn't ideal. Um, but visually, aside from that, I did really like it, I think coupled with the music especially the cues at the beginning of the film i loved that um but the writing as well it didn't work for me towards the end some of the re- reveals and a wee bit of the retconning weren't my favorite um and yeah it was it was a slow one for me it's actually probably my least favorite of the craig films i thought quantum of solace would be but i enjoyed that more um on our viewing um this one it had points where i liked and things i liked about it there was a classiness about it and it wasn't necessarily a bad film either. I just found it a bit meandering at points. Fran, what's your thoughts? Um, I actually, I, I quite enjoyed the film. Um, I, I did notice the, the change of pace, certainly. But I found it to be uh, enjoyable because of that. I, I, I liked that. I enjoyed it. I found it satisfying because I felt that it returned to the the, the kind of overarching story for Daniel Craig's Bond, which is this idea that he's been trying to get to the top of this spectre thing and, and you know, get to the person in charge of it and all that sort of thing. Um, there's a couple of things to do with the plot that maybe I, I found to be a little bit kind of unbelievable, like the connection between Blofeld and Bond and all that sort of thing. Like oh, I thought, I, yeah. I didn't really like that. I think that could have, that was unnecessary, but I did like, I, I, I liked the fact that, I felt like everything kind of happened when it was when it was satisfying for it to happen, you know. Like n- nothing felt for me, nothing felt too short or too long in the film. I thought the music was amazing throughout the the the, the movie, but uh, in particular, I really enjoyed that. And I find I'm finding it's funny actually, like because earlier in this process, I used to be kind of like obviously you've got your Bond fans, and then you get people who like. Bond, you know, maybe are a bit more casual about it. But I feel like I'm becoming more kind of in alignment with Gordon as we go along, where 
through watching all the films again, it's kind of reawoken maybe a younger self like appreciation of Bond. So seeing things like like I'm getting that that thing where I'm like, oh, the Bond theme's coming in here, or we've got a reference to to you know, I like seeing that particular Aston Martin car. It's an Aston Martin, isn't it? The mm-hmm. car DB5. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, do you know what I mean? Or seeing like little bits like on the train where it was very much like older Bond films, that kind of old train. Um, yeah, it was like an homage to a couple of the Bonds. It was essentially from Russia with Love with the fight with Red Grant. And also you could probably compare it to Jaws as well. Mr. Hinks uh-huh. um, is very similar to the sort of Jaws, yeah. big, strong, unspeaking kind of character. Uh-huh. So, and he's, he's, he's got that that quirk with his nails, hasn't he? Where like that's his weapon almost. Like he's got these like extremely sharp nails, and I, I had to look away at the scene where he poked the guy's eyes out. Like I I, yeah. I can't look at that. Yeah. But um, what was the last thing I was going to say? There was something else. Um, uh, God, what's gone right out of my head? Damn it! That's really annoying. That's really annoying when that happens. But um, yeah, I well, let me it. just I, try and jog your memory. Was it writing? Was it um, performance? Was it female performance? Was it villain? Uh, was it action sequence? Was it the the look of the film? Was it the the music? <laughs> the, the title sequence? The God, I, I can't think of anything. <laughs> really, we covered all bases here. Well, uh, we can go. Yeah, we can go through absolutely everything. But I mean, I'm sure it'll come up during the rest of the discussion. Yeah, I mean, g- generally speaking, I enjoyed it, and and um, yeah. Gordon, let's come to you. Well, recently I've watched quite a lot of varied films. I've watched a th- quite a few thrillers where, you know, films where you're just on the edge of your seat the whole time. Um, like, for example, I watched Cape Fear recently, an old classic and the remake, which, I mean, probably the two of the most compelling films I'd ever seen, both the original and the remake. So I was going into this on the back of a lot of recent films just where I was just sucked in. So... Spectre's not quite the sort of film that's going to give you that, you know. It didn't quite whet my appetite in that way, but I went. I mean, it went the the, the same way as I feel the last two Craig Bond films have have gone. It's kind of it's whetted my appetite for classic Bond. I've enjoyed the music. I think Thomas Newman's got a definite style, in the same way as David Arnold's got a definite style. Marvin Hamish does, and obviously John Barry's got a very sort of distinct style of music, which I enjoyed. I, f- I think this film, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty satisfying. I agree with what you're saying about the the slow pace. I felt at times it felt disjointed. Mm-hmm. I felt at times yeah. even a little contrived. Mm-hmm. I feel Daniel Craig was was great. Um, the character of M was fleshed out a bit. I enjoyed Mister Hinks. There was a lot, and it was it was absolutely stashed with. Uh, with homages to previous films, maybe even more than Die Another Day, or certainly on a similar level to that. Yeah, I mean, I would say the train sequence that called upon about three different Bond films for me, that was from Russia With Love, The Spy Who Loved Me, and probably Live and Let Die, um, The Fight. With oh, at Bond. least, yeah. Um, try to think of other ones. I suppose the car alone, having the gadgets, was a bit Goldfinger-like. Um yeah. Yeah, I feel um, I feel see Blofeld. I really enjoyed Christoph Waltz. I think he had a real presence to him, and, I, and of course, I criticised Silva in the last film, so it was it was a real improvement there. Definitely the best villain since Le Chiffre. And I feel like see bringing Black, back Blofeld after all this time, they could have so easily mishandled that, and you know, brought in the cat really early on, and the the tunic and the sort of world domination. He was a bit more low-key, I, I guess, and he was a bit more kind of... He was like the camper, still Blofeld, like like Charles Gray, but not Charles Gray. Yeah, you know, he's not, could not you imagine, like that, Jordan? 
Like, uh, could hi. you imagine if um, Blofeld int- he was introduced by like like crawling out of the chimney after like after being thrown down it? <laughs> yeah, Christoph Waltz and drag you. You don't want that. But um, you know, I, I I really liked him. I feel um, I love the review of Blofeld. And do you know what? Do you know what? I, I don't really like it. He's always calling Bond James. Silva did the same, and I I, don't, I think the villains got to call him Mister Bond. At least maybe call him James a couple of times. It was because I think of that whole stepbrother angle, which I wasn't into. Mm, I yeah. think I think that's a common complaint about this film. Really, yeah. Um, it doesn't it doesn't feel right, you know. That's like, a problem with a lot of things these days. Like you find it with like for example. Um, the Star Trek, new Star Trek series that had come out a couple of years ago, Discovery, where the main character, it turned out, was Spock's adopted sister, and she'd never been seen or mentioned ever before, do you know what I mean? But there's this thing where they have to, they, like, they feel like they have to kind of relate people to each other somehow to make it mean something, and yeah. it makes the world it's, smaller. Star Wars is really bad for that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a whole galaxy, but yeah, they all know each other. I mean, there must yeah. be like untold trillions of people, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really loved the way it linked the previous films, but I, I don't, I feel that was an unnecessary step having Bond and Blofeld almost related. Yeah, yeah. like I, I don't, I suppose I don't really have a complaint with them linking the other three films to this one. That was actually quite smart, and you could probably see how they, they fitted. Silva is the one where, the, like, Skyfall felt like it stood alone, but. I suppose it wasn't. It doesn't ruin Skyfall in any way to think, well, okay, he's actually working in the end for Blofeld. It doesn't detract from it, which is usually how these things go yeah. when you have a sort of retcon like that. It would have been nice if oh, um, forward planned that and maybe left one. There was one thing in one of those films that sort of. Steve, could, could you could you clarify that for me? Because I feel like I've kind of like. So what exactly is the connection there? Like, if somebody could lay it out for me, so that I'm less confused by it. Well, I think they're all subsidiaries of the grand organization of Spectre, which has like somehow been hidden from the entire uh, sort of intelligence services and things like that. That's Quantum was was a was a um, sort of secret organization alone, but that apparently uh-huh. was a subsidiary of Spectre. Like an underground version of Spectre, and yeah. Silva, whatever he was, whatever he was doing, um, was again apparently an agent of Spectre. I suppose they are like, if you think of the first three or four Bond films, the first two really, um, Doctor No and Rosa Klebb, Red Grant, they're all working for Spectre. But it's made clear in those films, like uh-huh. they, they know it's obvious they were a continuation. Obviously, it would be kind of like them making Goldfinger also. I suppose by Thunderball they announced that Goldfinger was also working for Spectre or something. Yeah. Um, uh, so or that's he was what, financed by them in some yeah, way. Yeah, like yeah, like that. Um, which it was, was a like, similar pattern, wasn't it? Exactly. The, the fourth film is the one where they have Blofeld. Up. Well, I suppose it was actually the fifth film in the. Do you know? I've, I've remembered. Films. I've actually remembered what I was going to say um, because I, the other thing that I liked about the film was this idea that it was almost like the Illuminati, wasn't it? In that room. It was like all the powerful because there was so many people there. You could tell they were all obviously like bankers, politicians, like just various people who were who were all. You had the folk at the big table and the folk on the kind of out, outer layers, kind of thing. Um, I quite like that. I think that was yeah. a, that again. That was one of the things I liked about it. I loved that setting, um, the style of it. It was different. You know, it's a kind of a weird modern take on the Blofeld esque. You know, the Ken Adam big set type thing. That was a, a nice uh-huh. touch. I think that. And you know yeah. the the um actually thinking about the set like the, when they got to where like kind of Blofeld's 
base or whatever you would call it, I suppose, is, is layer. It really kind of made me think, it made me think back to kind of older Bond sets. I mean, obviously, like you had the the modern computers and everything, but like the, even those kind of, see those little stools that everybody was sitting on, the kind of white stools and the, the shape of the, the kind of like the, the shape of the roof. There was a, kind of, it reminded me of Moonraker, I think. I don't know if it was Moonraker's base when... I don't know, one of the sets it reminded me of when they opened up and they're walking through the sort of corridor and everyone's on computers at each side. Yeah. I'm sure it was Moonraker that it reminded yeah. me of. Well, that, that, isn't that the one that's the level in Goldeneye? Yeah, yeah. The room and it's got all the screens and all uh-huh. that. Yeah. yeah, and the Aztec. I was just thinking which base because Moonraker's got so much packed into it. It's like it I know. goes from villains <laughs> yeah. in there to villains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, one of them, there was uh, um, one of the control centres. I know what you mean. Yeah, the, yeah that's the bit. Yeah, oh, by the way, um, I had another moment of this is incredible here. Like, um, it was similar to the bit where the guy had, like, um, uh, was it uh, Goldfinger? Was it was it Goldfinger that had the house that was set up just for one meeting? Yes. Right. Yes. So yeah, the whole house was designed and planned for this one meeting, right? But that's what that's what it was like when Bond went into the old MI6 building because you thought to yourself, yeah. how long was Blofeld in there preparing this? Like. <laughs> You know, why, just, why was Blofeld even there though? Why was he even in London? That, uh, I don't know why he had to be there. Uh, that was where my kind of head scratch moments were happening and I was like, Ugh, I, this is kind of losing me a bit. This is a bit, getting a bit silly. But it's not silly in that fun Roger Moore way where you kind of like can accept it because it's like tongue in cheek, they know what they're it's a bit silly. This is super serious, like Christopher Nolan style stuff. They think they're telling a really super serious story, but there's these massive plot holes or inconsistencies, yeah. and you're like, ah, I don't know. I mean, think about it. Blofeld must have had to go to the like. See when see when they they had the the shooting range and the wee cards turned around and it had Bond's face on it, right? Blofeld must have had to go to the computer and print them out. out. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just sit and print them and then go and stick them on with blue tack. Do you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> like, it's big. His big octopus screensaver, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. As if he would just have one computer. I can imagine he, him doing it under duress, like trying to do it quickly. Like, oh, it's not printing. Oh, yeah, either printer <laughs> breaks, yeah, and Bond's on his way. Like, yeah. Shit. You could imagine he had just fixed it just before Bond arrived. He's like, thank fuck. Yeah, he's actually had a sweat and he said that was actually just five minutes ago and he was running back to stand there ominously waiting for Bond. <laughs> and do you know what would be funny as well? Imagine Bond was late and Blofeld's just standing there for fucking hours and hours and hours in that one spot. Just wait. Uh, I mean, uh, that's the thing. Like, that, that it did become slightly unbelievable for me then, but it kind of, it actually, it fixed itself a wee bit. Like, I loved the fact that I always like it when you see like the normal police in Bond. Like, they've obviously set up roadblocks and they're getting ready to to arrest Blofeld. Now, what's interesting is Blofeld would he be like putting cuffs and taken to the local station and booked? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, how would he do it? Yeah, that's the bit that I didn't really kind of like that as an ending. It's like the the. See, it might work if we, because if, we know that he's, it seems like in no time to die, Bofeld's going to be quietly controlling things from being in prison, which is maybe quite a cool angle to go with. But it's the whole thing with, does, should the Bond villain really be arrested by the police or not? He's not supposed to at least go in a certain way or just disappear. I wasn't sure I really liked the police just cuffing him and putting well, him in a van. An inter- or it's an did. interesting angle on it. Do you know what I mean? Because, it, you know, you do think to yourself, like, imagine, like, Blofeld sent to a normal British prison, right? 
and he's in there with normal criminals. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what would they think of Blofeld? You know, like normal like scammers and all that, and folk who like deal drugs and stuff. And then they they're going in, and the next cell is fucking Blofeld's in there. You know what I mean? Like, what's he doing? Like going for lunch with them and all that in the fucking canteen, and you know he's got a wee prison job where he takes the, the books around and gives them out to everybody. You know what I mean? What would Blofeld do? You know, <laughs> the thing is, I mean, we could imagine for for instance, like you know, you could have a bizarre crossover. Like, imagine like as he's going to prison in London, right? Let's imagine that EastEnders takes place in the same universe as James Bond and Phil Mitchell's in prison. Could you imagine <laughs> Phil Mitchell meeting Blofeld in prison? <laughs> I would pay money to get that made. I feel like there's a sitcom waiting to be written, Fran. I think we need to get on that. Yeah, they just call it like the villains or something, like some sort of name. Yeah. Actually, do you remember, Steve, when we watched Wreck-It Ralph? Remember the all the baddies in the computer games had that therapy session? Do you remember that? Yeah. That kind of idea. It's kind of like the the villain version of what we do in the shadows. All these vampires sort of hanging out in a, in a flat. I mean, it's essentially just have all these super villains sort of sort of stuck in prison together and having to do just boring things. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I think okay. Let's focus then. Um, we're we're talking about Blofeld. Let's stick with Christoph Waltz then. So we're mostly all we all like his take then. Uh, right. Listen, I would say yeah. really quick actually about Blofeld about Christoph Waltz. He was so in the character that I was forgetting that it was him. <laughs> like I, I, I was, I, he was so like it didn't seem like Christoph Waltz anymore. It seemed like someone, someone else. I would, I, I would say to be honest, he's been playing Blofeld his entire career. Like that's that's his thing, isn't it? Like that's essentially him from Inglorious Inglor- Bastards. I, like, it's a very yeah, similar character. I, think, I don't know. Like I, I don't know, man. Like I mean, I get what you're saying because he was a bit like that. But yeah, that sort of a, a quiet almost, like, intensity, like a sort of friendly, aloof. But you know, there's a menace behind it. That's that's yeah. him. Like to me, it was almost like his entire face had changed. Maybe it was because of his hairstyle as well. But there was just something about the way that he looked. It, like I don't think he's ever been that menacing before. Because hmm. it was on a new, I would, a new level. I would say Inglorious, and but I would say Inglorious Bastards actually. The producers must have looked at that and thought, like he he really nails it as a villain. There, you know, you mentioned a particular scene in that film, Steve, which I, I agree with. But um, the most profound line is this: late in the film, tying together the events from the first couple of Craig films, he's like, "James, I'm the architect of all your pain." You know, that's quite that, um, and. That really made me think. Obviously, really bond made Bond think, and you get a nice exchange. He he obviously touches a nerve with Bond, and he brings up Vesper and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I liked him. I think his introduction was the best. Again, I like the shadowy kind of the way he was lit, and then the sort of reveal. You know, Bond thinks he's kind of somehow hidden from all these people, but obviously they actually are aware of him. That was quite a cool. I think yeah, the slow reveal of his his backstory, not the related to Bond stuff, but you you watch him get the injuries that we know he's got, so the eye injury, which results in him wearing the eye patch, the leg injury that obviously results in the wheelchair and whatnot. The way they they drew that out slowly throughout the film, yeah. I thought it's a really nice touch. Uh-huh. Yeah, they should have had him had a scene where he like he's like lonely and he's like oh, I could do with a pet. Uh, <laughs> just like looking for, a, he's looking online at cats and things like that. And a really short haircut. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's another thing. Like all the things that you see in the film lead you to places where they behave really normally. So like at some point, Blofeld would have had to have gone to like like someone who breeds cats and gone in and see, seen all the cats. Do you know what I mean? And picked a cat. It's I mean, so um, rare to actually see one of those pure white cats because I remember one of our neighbours in Dunoon had one years ago, and it was like you're 
it was so like sort of and back then I'd been watching the Bond films so I'm not going anywhere near that house there's like that sense <laughs> of danger but it's like at the same time oh what a cute little cat oh, hang on. did you think that they were villains because they had cats <laughs> I might have at that age cats turned them yeah. into villains it's a pretty <laughs> impressive house man what did you think of the torture sequence then um I didn't think it was as good as like Casino Royale yeah I was a wee bit weirded out. Like, how was it? So didn't he say something about when he drilled into this bit, he would forget her face? Yeah, I wasn't like, really clear d- on what was happening, like, to be honest. Because it, it was, was like... almost slightly too subtle. It was a very sort of very small drill, drilling in sort of a hole millimetres yeah. into the side of his head. It wasn't... You didn't have a massive laser going up towards his balls. You didn't have him hanging yeah. and someone sort of lashing him or anything like that. It felt almost too sort of clinical. Like he was but getting they, a, a minor surgical procedure. I can see what it was. They, they were messing with your head and going, right, we're going to effectively erase his memory by touching this very particular part of the, the lobe of the brain or whatever. It got, a, I think they, they dug a little too deep into the science and the sort of clinical nature of it and almost forgot that they were making a Bond film. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good it point. Like, it would have been like that if they'd done the laser scene and um, the baddie had said, we're going to do this procedure where Bond will not be able to ever have sex again because we'll have lasered his penis off. Do you know what I mean? And you're explained it. But the thing is, right. like, but the, the thing is, though, I didn't get it. So see the see when they stuck it in his neck, was that like a test run? Like, just to show what was going to happen? Because the, the thing drilled into his neck, and it didn't it? Well, to yeah. me, it's like there maybe Blofeld wants to kind of start lightly and gradually build up to make it even more painful for Bond. And I think that's why he was like sticking it into the side of his head because he's trying to touch like the most vital organs. And I'll tell you something: see, see, after reading Colonel Sun, which was one of the continuation novels post Ian Fleming, when you think about it, right, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of these sort of not unofficial but Bond novels that were written after Ian Fleming, and they never really there was a lot of usable material, I would say that, but they never really used them because they weren't in the films, but. That was straight out of Colonel Sun. I think they've definitely looked because there was a torture scene in that with the villain Colonel Sun. So first of all, he was torturing him in the exactly same same way, and he said why he was doing it. Similar to Christoph Waltz's Blofeld, Colonel Sun was he was talking to Bond in a sort of polite manner, and and then lastly, uh, the female lead in that film went up to Bond in the same way as Madeline went up to him in that, and. Bond slipped or something to get him out of the situation. The exact same thing happened in that. But I like the torture scene. I, you know, I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty good. I, I didn't mind it, but the thing is, I'm just confused because, right, let's think of the sequence of events, right? So, Blofeld presses the button and the thing goes into Bond's neck, right? And then it comes out and Bond's all sweating and all that. And then the girl goes up to him and and, and Blofeld says, "Do you still do those blue eyes still recognize you or whatever?" Right? But then Bond does recognise her, so I don't understand, right? So was it all just a big fraud? Like, what actually took place? Yeah, I, I, I was trying to work that. It was almost as though what he was meant to do didn't actually work. Uh-huh. Like, he was aiming for a particular, very specific spot of the brain, and he missed. Or it just, he somehow, after all the, the planning and stuff that I'm presuming he put into it, it just didn't work. Uh-huh. Which... That's- Feels a, yeah, it was it's it is an odd way to have there was there was no explanation as to what happened or why it didn't work or whether something should have happened that it didn't or whether it or not he was the, just immune to it or yeah, what is it just to believe here? It also it made a big reveal of this villain, Blofeld, and it made him look a little inept. Like it it, it kind of sort of undid him as well. It's a strange, strange thing they had there. I wasn't 
wasn't as keen on it. And yeah. as soon as the watch bomb went off, that somehow loosened all of the um, yeah. arm and leg restraints that were keeping Bond in place. Yeah. Didn't, you, didn't you know, Steve, that blowing up a, a computer switches off all the things? <laughs> oh, right, that's what... Uh, that's, yeah. so, I just shut down my the... computer like a sucker when I should be throwing <laughs> TNT at it. Yeah. It like the man with the golden gun with that one small... Ex- like the man with the golden gun, like License to Kill, like bloody Goldeneye in the control centre. One Bond creates one small explosion seems to destroy the entire base. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. Yeah, well, then, then again, he did shoot the gas pipes. But the thing is, though, I, I mean... It's just typical Hollywood nonsense in the sense that like you get that sometimes. I know it's not Hollywood, but it's that whole idea of if you destroy a computer, everything the computer's doing. What would really have happened is that if they'd blown up the computer, Bond would have been stuck there for all eternity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It would have frozen. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So she would have been standing there for ages, pure pulling at it, trying to get him out. It wouldn't have made good cinema. So I think they obviously just thought, fuck it. But then again, what they should have done is like, this is how I would have done it, right? I would have had her throw the watch and blow up Blofeld, right? Which actually sounds quite good, that, doesn't it? Blow up Blofeld. And then, say the computer table gets knocked over and the computer falls down, right? But it's still on. And she runs over and presses the button to stop it. Mm. Right, that would have made more sense to me. You'd have to make it like a really obvious button, like huge. So, so yeah, she would we'll just say it's on wheel. We'll say it's on. I'm not talking about like a, an actual button on the computer. I mean, like say it's on the screen, like you oh, know, right. cancel whatever, and she could click it. Release. You know what I mean, the, yeah. the big button that says "Do not press." <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. designed a computer-generated torture system, would you include a button that said "Cancel"? Yeah. In case well, you could had a change of heart. Steve, would you include a danger wheel like what you've got behind oh, you? Oh, I would, here? absolutely. Yeah. Well, that, that would have, the optimum number. That would have been going <laughs> off the charts while Bond was about to give the watch. It would have been like, Blofeld, something's wrong here. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could even see a, you know parallels with the likes of the Dr. Novice. Do you know, my main problem, though, wasn't some, I quite like the set, like how the base looked, but it's, Bond, it's the way that Bond and Madeline approach it. It's like, it goes there um, just... The, you know, in the middle of the day, just saunters up to it with her. Nope, he doesn't seem to have a plan. Like, he doesn't seem to be trying to be sneaky, trying to find a way that he can go in covertly and confront Blofeld. So, like, I'll just show up at the front door we'll, and we'll just speak to whoever's there and see if he's, I mean, what, I don't, what was his actual plan there? What was he even thinking about how, did he just want to talk to Blofeld? I, I don't, I don't really know what he was planning to do there. Well, didn't, didn't you know, Gordon, that spies just walk in in broad daylight? Well, they, they also had. The, they, they <laughs> exactly, were also, this is what I'm getting at. They yeah, were also it's the driven. exact opposite, isn't it? It's the opposite of what a spy would do in every way. And they fair, get off a train in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is not a, a complaint that's new to this film. Sean Connery nearly went into space and You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Uh, sort of just <laughs> on the same film that Blofeld was revealed. Um, actually, Blofeld's the one that stopped Connery, him going. I think Connery's so pissed off he just wanted out of that film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was strange. They had that. They had an escort take them there to to Blofeld. It was all a bit, you know, that con- is well, huh? it was all a bit convenient. Um, you know, oh. people were in the right place at the right time for all this stuff to to work somehow. It's just that know. stuff harked right back to the old films where Bond was being welcomed into the lair with um sort of fancy drinks and given rooms and the woman was given a particular dress to wear. That took me right back to I can't remember what film it is, but that's pretty much Doctor No on <laughs> onwards, I think. For I was, I was gonna say 
Yeah. yeah all this, the way through it, the mirror, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was, it, it was a bizarre one to come back to. It was always the elements of the old film that I felt, I thought, just felt a little bit kind of cheesy and awkward. And, you know, oh, bad guys having people to be nice to. But I don't, I don't know. There was something just weird about that. But that scene particularly, the everything from the valet to being welcomed with a glass of champagne to the rooms that they were put into, or oh, we'll meet him for drinks at four o'clock. It, it just took me right back to the first sort of four or five films. And yeah. I, I don't know if it was in a good way or not. You yeah. know, I, I kind of like, like going back to that, I mean, my favourite, I think, was Scaramanga, who I'm convinced was in love with Bond. <laughs> like, I mean, the dinner scene, like, there was just such a kind of thing of, like, it was going beyond admiration, wasn't it? Until, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was like, you know, Bond, will you be with me forever? We're yeah. soulmates. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because he was obsessed with Bond. I mean, Bond was been told he was obsessed with them, like, almost right from the beginning of the film. And I guess I found I got that kind of with Waltz's Blofeld as well. And, Especially, I think he's got that. I think resentment because he was like he refers to Bond as a cuckoo because he he was he wasn't his father's real son, but he kind of like stole the nest. Do you know what I mean? I think it somehow I hate that that retcon though the 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 connection yeah. between them because it makes it sort of like he became Blofeld because he didn't get the same love, and it's like. Oh, really? That's the motivation for this grand villain? So, yeah, it's kind of daft. Like, it's like, well, ugh. see, one one of the stepbrothers goes on to become like a, an expert professional killer, and the other stepbrother goes on to be the head of the biggest criminal organization on the planet. <laughs> it's just, that's just too much. And the thing is, as well, just think about how, I mean, there's all these children out there, children who could have been fucking adopted or whatever, watching this, feeling really shit about themselves, thinking, oh, God, <laughs> I'm going to grow up and be. No matter what I do, I'm going to be the worst person ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but that's the thing. So exactly what is the case then? So Bond is not really... Bond was adopted or was it Blofeld that was adopted? I, I couldn't quite... Bond was adopted by Blofeld's father, is the impression yeah. I got after Bond's actual it, parents died. Right, right, right. Okay. Right. I see. And the use of the... See the name Franz Oberhauser? There's quite a ring to it, but... He was a, a character in one of the Bond short stories, Oberhauser. It was it was actually unrelated to Spectre. It was I think it was from a view to a kill, possibly. Hmm. Okay. So that was a nice like um nod to the past. Another one that was a nod to the short stories, but quite subtle. I mean, you kinda need to, I guess, um know the short stories a bit to know this. But I, I mentioned before the short story, the Hildebrand rarity. You'll notice when Em and Kinnear were talking on the way into that safe house, it was it was called Hildebrand, and and he mentions that to Kinnear. Okay, right. Uh, no, 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 Kinnear. The guy who's it? The guy Kinnear plays Tanner. Rory Tanner plays yeah. Tanner, Tanner. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Let's focus on a few other things then. Uh, the start. Then we normally tackle that at the beginning, but um, the pre-title sequence is for me one of the best the Bond films have had, just from pure style. I love that one shot take style that sam mendes executed here and i think bond looks cool as hell you know yeah. it's it, it's the mexican day of the dead theme the the setting is fantastic we haven't seen a lot of that before yeah uh, really they nailed this the, the beginning of this film do you guys what's your thoughts there totally with you mexico city and the actual parade festival thing looked it looked the business uh-huh it really did. And I, I keep coming back to that one long walking shot that you refer to where he's walking, particularly where he jumps out the window and he's walking over the rooftops towards yeah. 
the target that he's going to to shoot at. It does. He he looks he looks cool as hell. It is actually yeah, really. It's it was a fantastic explosive start. If the rest of the film had been like that, I think it it's a shame that it sets you up for the rest of this film, which is completely at odds to what you've seen in the pre-title sequence. But as a standalone pre-title, I agree. It's it's one of the best. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I, I thought it was really good. I did. Yeah. I quite I, I find it quite funny that bit where Bond like the woman obviously gets into the women's hotel room with a view to going out the window to get to the other place. Like basically, he just wants to go up there, right? Bond could have found many ways to do that. <laughs> he chooses that one particular route. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, it was like, see when the woman's like, "Where are you going?" I've just found that quite funny. Like, for just for once, Bond didn't sleep with the person that he used. So he didn't actually sleep yeah. with her. He just basically like got into a room and then walked out the window and left. <laughs> yeah, like so he didn't even explain anything to her and just did it. And he said he'd come back, but clearly, obviously, I don't think he did come back. Well, the building away. was probably destroyed. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if that woman survived actually, like given what? the yeah. Let's devastation. hope. Let's hope she was a villain then. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I would say that that pre-title sequence it, it practically everything that I want to be Bond to be. You know, he was Bond was being a womanizer. Bond was <laughs> no, well, I will just let me finish. He's um, he's in disguise, right? So the first thing you notice is Bond's disguise. Bond's been a womanizer. Bond goes into a hotel, which is that's quite a kind of classic feature of Bond. Well, uh, Gordon, um, I would I would say I think it's rather, a, a, yeah. rather than the word womanizer, he's a, he's I would a, say alluding lady. I would say he's a lady killer. Right. right, so that's maybe more like so he's not he's not like doing anything wrong. Yeah, he's not like he's just good with, with women, basically. Yeah, there's a sex, yeah, like, sex, yes, sex appeal, like sort of. Well, yeah, praising that, and it, so not only that, once he's in the room, he acts. He's been a total spy, um, walking along the um, you know, the balcony. He's hiding behind that little wall. He gets a sniper rifle, and that you know, again, that is, you know, we've seen that before. But Bond, giving shades of the living daylights, he's got that. He's he then he's got that nice little line, man with the golden gun reference, bottoms up. He then and then he, there's a bit too much CGI there. I think that's only it's only about the film that I think the the bit when the CGI was falls and he yeah kind of like, yeah, yeah it was a yeah. bit it was kind of a bit um a bit. A bit much, but um, and then you've got the whole helicopter. I mean, the helicopter's such a big sort of feature of Bond and struggling with the with the henchman. I, I mean, that you're you're right. I mean, it set it sets um, it sets us up you really know, well. You're, you're spot on, actually, in the sense that you like see see the bit where Bond's walking up with the sniper rifle that you mentioned there, right? Bond is basically being and not he's being a spy, but he's also being an assassin. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, it's the music, man. See um, Newman's music, because that was what probably the best bit of his music in the whole film. Yeah. Okay. Getting the Bond theme right away. Oh, man, love it. And then it's not, and it's, you know, especially the, the trumpets. It's, um, you're getting that. Newman's um, not like near the top of my like, Bond film composers, but he's, um, he's encapsulating the classic Bond feel there. And you're getting, of course, not only that, I mean, Part of the score, it's also the actual, it's like, they do this so well in so many Bond films, the sound effects is actually like part of the scores. The sound effects of the, the whole, or the music of the whole um, Dave the Dead ceremony, it's, it's like Live and Let Die, what you get with the the whole, um, you know, the voodoo ceremony, and like in Thunderball the, with the junk canoe, and it fades perfectly into the Bond theme. And like like Steve was saying, you know, to do that all in one shot is, 
it's just a beautiful thing. Well, it was a creative way they did it. It's not actually one shot, but it's it's like multiple yeah, six or seven that. shots, but sort of creatively compiled together to make it look like yeah. one shot. It's how they did nineteen seventeen. Still, really long takes though, um, much longer than they they would have for a normal style shooting, but. Very, it's an amazing achievement, and I always like that. It's one of the things that I like see cinematically when something is done like that. Um, I, I do really, I really yeah. enjoyed it. It was a mini Bond film that pre-title sequence, and they completely nailed it. That was a five-star sequence in a sort of lesser film for me, but um, yeah. I think the only minor bit of it that kind of grated on me was when he was the building was kind of crumbling down around him. And it did kind of, the the floor went from beneath his feet. You thought, oh, that's it, he's going to fall. And then he landed on a sofa. The one sofa that I didn't mind that, to me. I thought it felt a bit kind of, uh, that's a bit too convenient. If he'd fallen flat on his face and gone, oh, and then got back up again, then it might have been I kind of liked it. It was humor. That was like their one little, because that was a completely humorless film for me. I never laughed once in this film. And that (laughs) is like, only he dusts off and he just kind of gets back to it. He looks back to looking cool again. Do you know, I wouldn't have liked to actually see if Bond hadn't also acknowledged it himself because he looked around as if he was like what there was a couch right here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, you know I mean? yeah that's what it is yeah. that is it Daniel Craig kind of acknowledging there's a very subtle subtle use of humour there which I liked um, I can get what you're saying though Steve like it, it is a bit silly but I think for me it worked I, I didn't I didn't mind that that's at all. fair yeah yeah okay moving on then from the pre-title sequence um, the, the theme song itself Sam Smith's The Writing's on the Wall What's uh, what's our verdict on that? I think I'm at odds with everyone here when I say I don't like it. Oh really? I don't like some. I was I I agreed with you when I first watched. It. I did not like this either, and a lot of critics felt the same. It's, yeah, yeah, I, I, think I like it's, uh, the actual the actual sequence looks really fantastic. I think I like the I mean the references to the previous few films that you see and that really sets it up well. I think it's I mean I heard the song a lot. I remember when it was first out. Because it was it was constantly on the radio and stuff like that. It's it's a personal thing. I don't like Sam Smith's voice. I don't. I just find him a bit grating and dull as an artist. And the song just doesn't do anything for me. It's not a bad song. I think it he probably does it justice as a Bond theme, and it probably works and whatnot. But I don't. I don't feel any kind of excitement when I hear it. So it the song itself doesn't work for me. I, I I'm not like a Sam Smith fan by any stretch. Um, although. For, for two reasons, I kind of like it. First of all, like, I remember it being on the radio all the time. But 2015 was a particularly, like, I remember 2015. It was now that way when you look back to certain times and it's almost like it's always summer and it's all nice and everything. Like, I remember, I kind of takes me back to that. So I like it for that reason. But also, um, there's an element to the song that is not Sam Smith at all. Now, I know that he, <clears throat> obviously, he's written it, but he didn't compose all the wonderful bits of music around the, you know, the, mm. the orchestral things, you know, I mean, that. That's, to me, that's the best part about it, isn't I it? I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, the reason I like the theme is because it sounds like the motif in the film pretty much like it comes in. That that's a, such a Bond sounding motif. Yes, you know, yep. There's and kind of uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, that's well, there's like, why a, I like it. Yeah, I, I was going to say there's a sort of um, quite a compelling sort of epic feel to the song. I mean, to be honest, I was more kind of taken in by the the visuals of the title sequence rather than the song itself. There was something about the the whole way uh, it had the visuals of the Spectre Octopus. They made 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 me feel kind of uncomfortable in a good way, like it kind of compelling. And the, I was thinking, what? How are they gonna have Spectre but give it a modern take? This old concept. I mean, Fleming came up with 
Spectre in the 1950s or early 60s, and then the it was in the films from the early 60s. How are they going to do it in a modern way? And there was something like slithery about the visuals of the octopus that I found really compelling. And it's a nice song. It's yeah, I mean, it didn't for me. It didn't really set the header. Like you think these, you get songs like that. It's kind of compelling. Um, and then you get ones that are just a sort of good time, happy go lucky song, like say the. Condomus Solus one, a man with a golden gun, you know, so you get different, <clears throat> you get different types of Bond here songs. It was maybe the right sort of feel for that kind of film. I was going to say, guys, but first of all, I'll say, Gordon, I love your top Universal Exports. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, well, it's going to be for the next uh, final podcast, it's going to be a fixture. So I don't know, should go with the, something special for the last one. Well, do you want to hear some breaking news, folks? Um, and also, Gordon, you'll, you'll be particularly interested in this after talking about the tentacles of the octopus there, right? So um, nine, I think it's eight or nine years worth of financial papers have been leaked um, in the UK. And it's all about the criminal the movement of criminal money by the banks, despite the fact they knew. I spotted that just there. That's very. There's and, um, almost a Bond film around that. Yeah, oh, wow. and, uh, you know, basically, like if you were looking for like one of the tentacles leading to the octopus, we're just seeing it happen right now on the news. So it's quite interesting that that's happened today as we watch this particular film. Um, Steve, yeah. I love how you're news gathering even when we're doing a live podcast. It's, <laughs> it's a lovely thing. And do, do you need to go, Steve? Is this uh, anything you've got to cover? <laughs> uh, nope. Uh, if anyone needs me, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> it sounds like this could be big. Uh, it's huge. It's, 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 huge. it's huge. But the thing is, it connects to this because... See that room when Bond goes in and all those folk are there in that big secret meeting kind of thing? That's kind of like, I always imagine like there would have been somebody from HSBC there. Do you know what I mean? Like some representative from HSBC. Oh, he'll have been around that table with Spectre. Yeah. You imagine one of them being part of that kind of organization. Yeah. Goldman Sachs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Okay. We'll press on. Uh, the, The theme. Yeah, it's not one of my favourites, but uh, it's certainly it's not it's got better at what, the more I've listened to it, and it's the orca- orchestration around it that I like. Okay, um, what what else do you want to touch on then before we get to the rating? We've obviously got we'll talk about Batista's character then, Mister Hinks. What what do we think about him? Really liked him, classic Bond villain. You agree with me, Steve? Yeah, uh, I think Steve's in it. Oh, hello, Steve. <laughs> I, I was just, I was, I, I, I don't know why they haven't turned to the WWE before <laughs> for those kind of villains because it, it actually makes sense. Big guys that you can throw literally anything at and they just bounce back and keep coming towards you. Yeah, just the it, it was very reminiscent of Jaws. Yeah. Um, I think of all the, the villains we've seen so far, but he he did it well. He took everything that was thrown at him and kept going, which is exactly what you want. And that scene where he finally got whipped out of the train was actually quite funny. I did quite like that. Just shit. Yeah, and what what a long time since we we had a classic style um, menacing Bond henchman or a good one. I mean, the the last maybe the last proper one was Mister Kills. I wouldn't say he was a a good one or, or well maybe Zao die another day maybe not the best but like um, it was uh, probably was, Stamper really isn't it Stamper from I, Tomorrow yeah, Never yeah, Dies I, and the whole thing where you were saying Steve about oh, Dave Batista was a real that was why I thought it wouldn't, it wouldn't work when I first heard he was cast I thought they're going to go the wrong way with this and make it like a triple X style film like in you know like the way Die Another Day went but I thought I loved his look. He's got Dave Batista's got these really beady eyes and it's the, it just there's something kind of comical it's the fact he's He's a big guy, but he's he's absolutely impeccably dressed. Even when he's fighting Bond in the train, he's got like 
waistcoat, like an expensive suit. Yeah. He drives his own car. And like you said, Steve, he's, he's a silent henchman. I think it was great after all these films to to finally return to that. And bloody great fight between him and Bond in the train, really. It was a kind of a classic fight. And um, it's just it's the way he just... Bonds, Bond and Madeline are having dinner in the restaurant car and he just kind of swoops in Bond and you get all these nods to the past. Like Bond... Um, he does like the wee kind of double kick, like what he does in The Spy Who Loved Me. He leans, he puts his arms up in a big beam, and his bonds like chucking a glass, chucking a frying pan. They're getting kind of smashed from coach to coach. They're smashing each other. All these things getting broken. It was like they were really going for a classic Bond fight with that. Like they were really going for the way they they did, and it was I actually thought compared compared to like some of the sort of fast edited Jason Bourne style fights or Quantum or a couple of the other, the earlier Craig films, this was actually more of a realistic fight, I would say. Yeah. 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 What about the car chase sequence with them earlier on the film? I mean, it was uh, quite a long one, but didn't really do anything too crazy or exciting, mostly because the the scene was actually used as exposition for us learning about some of the organisation when Bond is on the call with e- Eve Moneypenny, which is kind of weird. So then Batista's chasing him, but like it's not really... Nothing's really going anywhere. It's quite strange. But it was, you know, it was also the, the, the one other little bit of humour there, I think, which was just taking the piss out of the Fiat 500, the fact that it's really slow, and if you touch it ever so slightly, the airbag's going to explode. Yeah, yeah. So there was a nice little dig there. So I've got, but again, that I've got it down to my notes is that being a little bit silly. The kind of, like, the, the music, obviously it was set up for 009, and the music being really crap. Uh-huh. Um, and there was, they're obviously, you're right, they tried to drive sort of humour into that scene as well as the fact that it the, the entire purpose of it was to to yeah. obtain the information that you needed from money penny while she was on the phone to him yeah yeah the best best bit of that actually i liked and again it was, it was a deliberate nod to the past previous bond films um spy who loved me also for your eyes only and the the chase with the um was it the old you know, the car with the big lamp lights. When Batista draws up next to Bond, when Bond's on the phone to Money Penny, and they kind of just look at, give, give each other that look to the sides. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you remember that or the previous. They just kind of look at each other, and then Bond kind of decreases acceleration. Hmm. Yeah. I know that it's kind of subtle, that, but yeah. that, that really, I really like that. It's the way Batista looks. Is You know, there's wee sort of beady eyes. It's... It, it works pretty well. Okay. What do we think of Leah Sido's character? Is that how you pronounce her name? Leah Sido? Sido? Madeline, sure. Madeline Swan. Sudoku. What do we think uh, Again, yeah, I thought she was she was well played. She 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 didn't play it too needy like some of the other um, sort of Bond girls have been. She had, I think, just the right amount of kind of vulnerability. She could look after herself. She yeah. could sort of kick ass when she needed to. But when she realized that she was in danger... It was a case of right, come on and help me, mm-hmm. and it was. I, 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 I liked her. That kind of scene at the very start, I suppose, when he meets her in her clinic and she discovers why he's there and that her dad's just died, and the reaction to that, it did feel quite real. It yeah. didn't feel too over the top. It didn't feel too schmaltzy or anything like that. I thought she played the character great. Yeah, yeah, I quite liked her. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, I, I, I liked her. I, I think she's got a, uh, she's. You know, she's she's a, uh, we know a bit about her from obviously the you know it's not the first film she's been in, um, and I think she's uh, she's pretty believable. I do think she's got she she wants to do her own thing. She's she's obviously I quite like the fact that she hang the, on the what character. For, what is this not the first film she's been in? Did I miss no. that? 
No, no, she, she, was she not in... Um, was this the first one? Yeah, because well, she's, she's going to she, be she's in returning, no She's die. returning in No Time to Die, but this is her, her introduction. Right, okay. No, I must be thinking because I've seen her in the trailer for No Time to Die or something like that. Uh, Maybe yeah. it's kind of boggled my mind, but yeah. Um, she, I mean, she's... I, I especially like the scene where she said to Bond, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be part of this world anymore. Do you know what I mean? So it's like she's she's someone who has her own motivations and her own reasons and for do you know what I mean for doing things and she seems fairly she seemed fairly realistic to me. I mean there was an element of a resigned sigh, I suppose, when she walked off and got immediately captured. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but then again, you know, it's not that it wasn't believable that an organised crime unit could capture anyone, let alone a woman or a man or whoever, right, on their own. But it was more... Because nobody would dispute that... It's not like she would take out the entire group. Do you know what I mean? And they also got M and Bond, didn't they? Like they, were, they? They captured kind of everybody. But it was the kind of... Suddenly the film... Yeah. veered off into Super Mario Save the Princess. Yeah, I know. You, you know, mean. Damsel in Distress. It's, yeah. it, it's a tired, used up trope. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's, it would be the same for anyone, you know. It's, it's um, only a, fl- side, a fault like, because it's been done so much in this yeah. franchise, never mind in films. It's, that's the only yeah. fault. There's nothing it's wrong with like, it. It makes sense just, in the story, but it's just because it's a, a trope that we've seen plenty of times. That's just, the only yeah, it's, it's just lazy. I mean, I would have preferred it if say, M, Bond and her were all captured and taken and then had to kind of fight their way out of it sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I just... I, I just it's ast- it astonishes me, I suppose. I, I'm not saying it's like... Here, this is the word problematic, right? I'm not saying that, because, uh, but it still bugs me that you've just even five years ago, you've got a climax of a film where five seconds away from Bond, she's captured. Do you know what I mean? There's just something about that that just... Yeah, that's uh, it's relying. Uh, this is the thing with this film: having Spectre, having Blofeld. These are all things that were, you know, the pinnacle of the Bond films in the sixties. These were the sort of, um, and so having them back is there's there's a there's, they've had to wrestle with trying to modernize it, but also tie it back to what the Bond franchise was about back then. So that's kind of they've picked and chose and sort of then subverted things, and that's obviously one that has came back you know that sort of trope is well, see, still... see that whole sequence in it and honestly um i could have done without that that sequence in the mi6 building I, actually yeah i i mean i think i also don't think i really cared for the infiltration or the sort of merger of mi6 mi5 with that other secret organization i don't know about you guys it was, Andrew, it was like a bad B plot. Yeah, I didn't, oh, I th- I, I think I, I didn't though, care um... for it at all. I actually that's this is the film that i've always kind of I didn't realise it was only this film, really, that's put M and and Money Penny and Q, and they're all kind of having to do their own thing. They're all doing their own little thing as well as Bond. To me, it's distracting. I don't care for it. I didn't need it. I didn't need that subplot. I only cared about Bond and um, Also, Bond. isn't it kind of unbelievable, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that C would be... The, the government would employ someone... They wouldn't they have figured I know. surely they would have done personality tests and, and like psychological battery tests on this guy to figure out what he was like. Do you know what I mean? Like see if see if you come up like say you've got your tests done, honestly, like because I applied I actually applied to work in GCHQ. Now that's something I can say now because you know, it's I'm not there and, and all that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Well my, my life took a different turn. But you know, from the very early, and again, I can't say fully what happened, 
or what they do. But what I can say is that the very small piece of the process that I saw at the start, someone like that would never get through. Never in a million years. Because these people these people know everything. Like If you're going to work for the, the British government working in intelligence in some form, they will know everything. They will know your everything about you. They will know how you react to everything, right? They, and, and see if you come across as someone who shows any sign of deviousness or, you know, a marker for, say, um, betrayal or something like that. You would never get in, ever, ever, ever in a million years. I think you know I mean? the film, because it's so serious, it's like a Christopher Nolan-esque film. Oh, I had, it's a very Nolan tone, the music and everything. Thomas Newman's score for me had the very Nolan vibe. But it then doesn't sit right when it's got these sort of silly... I think it's the issue I had with Nolan's films, to be honest. Some of the plots were ridiculous and amongst this sombre tone. Um, so that's, that's, I just didn't need that. I didn't need that, that sort of subplot. Um, I get, they wanted something for Ray Fiennes and, and, um, you know, Nomi Harris and things like that for, to give them something to do. I get that, but it sometimes for me is a bit of a distraction and actually reduces some of the, the enjoyment you know, you're you're right actually i mean it's a noble cause do you know what i mean it's like a there's something you know it's admirable that they're trying to do that yeah do you know what i mean yeah, they're, 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 you that's know, them thinking they're modernizing it but for me it doesn't work it's just too much yeah but um yeah all right then uh is there anything else you guys want to touch on before we get to the rating you know the scene with monica bellucci's character who is uh the assassin's mistress. Yeah. Uh, sorry, well, wid- widow. Um, I, well, now Monica Bellucci was made for a Bond film. Um, that the scene was going so well when Bond approached her room or her uh, her um, house. I love the way it was like classic Bond. How there was these two assassins. They looked as if they're about to kill her, and she knew it. And Bond just dispatches them in the background. I think that's just great. That's classic Bond. Yep. Um, I, I thought I actually thought the scene Bond kind of. Approaching her, it was kind of rapey. I mean, you you look at, I know we went over like uh, pussy yeah. in the barn. You know, it's, I didn't like that. And I'll tell you, I think it's kind of morbid and kind of see if she's a widow. She's just got back from the funeral. She's wearing like this black dress. She's got all this black laundry on and all that. It's kind of morbid and grotesque, like the way Bond is like. I'm, I'm gonna pull the widow. It's, I kind of agree with you actually. I'm surprised yeah, that yeah, normally yeah. that would be the, 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 something I would have picked up on. But because I, yeah, you're I think you right. see when she's because see when like Bond is leaving and she's like lying there looking lovely in that corset, but it's like but very sort of like funeral like you know. And I think I know I think they wanted you to think, oh, that's classic Bond, but a womanizer to me that's just bloody grotesque i just i don't want to see bond doing that yeah you can't ero- you can't erotically rip off funeral clothes i don't think <laughs> but they try to go there as well as that they they i don't think they if they were trying to make it seem like she didn't love her husband then yeah. it didn't do very well because it sounded like she might not have loved him as a person but she loved I think he protected her she, there was he was the you know i think there was something there so it's it's kind of still it's not great. Whereas normally sometimes he sleeps with like uh, Sanchez's girlfriend, and it's like clearly, well, obviously Sanchez, and it's a completely different situation. But you don't feel sorry for this person yeah. because they're an asshole and they've treated her like crap. Where it sounds like you know, you know, she was in love. She actually is grieving. Bond makes a comment that he's kind of calling her out as if maybe she isn't. But it wasn't quite made clear that she isn't. It did did look as if she was grieving. Actually, she did seem somber, and she didn't 
come across very like she was trying to entice Bond either, which is where it got a bit weird then when suddenly he's really pushing for it. You're right, yeah. Gordon, that's, I did not notice that as much, but you're completely right. Um, yeah. Yeah, another point against it, it's, which is a shame because you're right, Monica Bellucci, otherwise, and I think, this, like you say, the, the setting and things like that, the cinematography, that shot when Bond walks towards her, when it's bloody and he comes into focus after he's killed the assassins was great. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's yeah, this film has a lot of things where they get right. It's usually the presentation, and then they sort of there's something that doesn't work as well. Alrighty then, guys. Uh, Fran, what's your full verdict for this film? Well, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I liked the the pre-title sequence. Thought it was great. I agree, it's a five star. Like you said earlier on, like I've taken on its own. I loved the musical motif, the music in the film. I, I liked the the song at the start. Um, I didn't personally feel that it. I liked the change of pace. That's just a personal choice, you know, personal personal kind of reaction to it. As I said earlier, could have done without the the last section with, when he went back to the old MI6 building. From that point, I feel like it lost it a wee bit, um, but. Apart from that, I really, I really quite enjoyed it. Um, I think I would take like a half star off the total for the, that last section, MI6. I'd probably take another half star off just to bring it in line with the other movies I've rated as well. Like I, I'm just trying to kind of imagine where it sits. Do you know what I mean? In the, all of the films of the Bond films we've, we've watched, so I'd have to give it a four star. I think it's a very, very good film. Um, so I'm docking it a wee bit for that ending, and I'm docking it a wee bit because I don't want it to be above other ones that I enjoyed more. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. Uh, Steve, what about you? I'm kind of toying with this one. I think I think this is a three-star film, and I'm toying with it potentially going half a star either way, half a star down or half a star up. It was... It felt... I don't know. The... The speed of this film, it was very slow. It was like watching a psychological thriller. And I like a psychological thriller. I kind of like having my head messed with sometimes, but not as part of the the Bonds universe. Um, but, it, I mean, it was the, the storyline itself, the main plots. Obviously, we've talked about the slightly ridiculous nature of some of the, the subplots, but the main sort of primary plot of this and the way that it harks back to the Bond of old, the Spectre organization, Blofeld in particular, having it all back was fantastic. I did enjoy that nature, that part of it. I love how the film looked and sounded. It looked fantastic. The cinematography, as we've discussed, is fantastic. The music, minus the theme tune, I have to say. I didn't like the theme tune. I liked the motif when it came back in, and I liked a lot of the other music that surrounded the film. It worked really well. It was the tension that it ramped up was fantastic. <laughs> and I like... I like the characters in it. Like I liked, I thought Madeline was great. I liked Ben Whishaw as Q. I thought Blofeld was great. Um, so ah, it's it's middling, but it's yeah. as as my list of Bond films goes, it's middle. It's in that kind of middle to bottom section. So I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna cement it as a three for now. Yep. But I think I'm gonna have to go back over these and reevaluate. Yep. Okay. Three stars and a four stars. Gordon, what's your full? Final verdict. Man, this was pushing a four, and then I started writing down a couple of minuses, and the minuses just gradually mounted up, so it's not quite going to make a four. I'm, I'm going to go three and a half. 
because I'm feeling I'm getting similar vibes to what I felt with Quantum and with Skyfall. I absolutely adore the the whole continuation. I mean, if you look at say like the Back to the Future franchise, for example, one of the things I love about that is the continuation because I I just love that in all films to to tie things up. And I think they could have easily mishandled that the way um they actually made it feel seamless. I think the the crew and the way that. Spectre was written without the knowledge they were ever going to acquire the rights. Sorry, Skyfall was made with the with the imagination they were never even going to acquire the rights to Spectre, but I think they seamlessly kind of integrate the events from those films into this without it seeming to contrive. Like, I can buy the fact, obviously, the silver, uh, green and all that work for Spectre. I like the idea of this whole umbrella organisation. I think I like the idea with the plot how there are... Uh, they have the communications to kind of see everything everywhere, and I think I think it's got quite a lot of relevance today in the plot and the you know the the technology and and also the idea of upheaval of big organisations. That I feel it's the sort of thing you can imagine these days, like MI six and MI five maybe merging. I don't know. Um, I feel like the, the whole reintroduction blow failed after decades, could easily easily mishandled. I thought they did that effectively. I thought Christoph Waltz was great in that. I feel it was a classic feel to the film. I did like having a torture scene. I can see where you guys had issues with it. I really liked Daniel Craig once again. He had a glint in his eye in this film. He was um some of his humour I liked. And I liked um I liked uh, like like Steve says, um Ben Wishaw's Q. And I feel I like the way he helped out Bond under the radar and um it's also it shows like how technology's evolved that Q isn't just the quartermaster, that he's also now acting as a medical officer. That's the sort of thing you can imagine these days. So I like that. I feel the film the mindset is like the film, it just wasn't gripping enough for me. Hmm. You know, I was looking for something to really get me on the edge of my seat. I feel there was a lack of emotional scenes. Um I liked for example, what seemed a good emotional scene was like when Madeline Swan was like telling Bond to get away out in the snow, you know, but there wasn't enough of that. Um, I feel the film at times was contrived. It was a little disjointed and slow-paced. The ending wasn't so keen on. The approach to the crater base, like I mentioned, the whole stepbrother angle, really. And um, if I'm looking at all the Craig films, I would say, yeah, obviously love Casino Royale. If you think of Casino Royale as the the full-on proper Vesper Martini, I think Quantum, Skyfall, Spectre. They're almost they're almost a great taste in martini. They're kind of a little bit watered down. That's my my feelings in the the Craig era so far. I like it. I like it. So that's a three and a half from you. Then interesting. Um, I pretty much agree with well most of all of the observations, um, particularly yours, Gordon. This did feel like when I was watching it, I thought this will be a four for me. Um, but it started to kind of edge down towards the free so it is a free for me the gripping the word you use that's that's exactly it for me it wasn't gripping enough emotional scenes i feel like we haven't really touched on daniel craig's performance and i know this is the rating so i'll make this quick i don't think he really got out of a second gear in this one i think that nothing he wasn't bad he was you know he'd resolved a lot of his issues by skyfall so he was back to just being a clear assassin in this film that's fine. The story didn't re- require it, but at the same time, that's maybe why it wasn't gripping because you weren't really completely seeing any of his emotional psyche as much and things like that. It was just a, a boilerplate story. Considering we have a big reveal like his stepbrother and all this kind of stuff, it was just yeah, didn't didn't work. But pre-title sequence loved all that kind of stuff. All the things you guys have mentioned, the pre-title sequence and the music and things like that I loved. The reveal, the retconning, 
especially the stepbrother thing did not work. I really can't stand that. Um, so, and Blofeld, I mostly like, yeah, I think he's definitely not the worst Blofeld. I think he's the second best. So I suppose that's something to be said for that. Um, yeah, so it's a three star straight down the middle free. It is nowhere near the worst Bond film. There's, it's a solid film, but there's definitely flaws that do not make it an obvious recommendation to anyone to say, you know, and go and watch this film. Considering you kind of rely on seeing the other three films a little. Um, so it's, that's maybe something else to be, to mention there. But yeah, it's, it's a fine film. Just probably for me, the weakest, just by slither, Quantum, I think is, is actually better. Okay, so that does it then. Uh, we've got uh, three stars, two three star reviews, a four and a three and a half. So still a decent outing for Craig. And that would cement, I mean, that's, let's face it, I think he has had the most consistent Bond run. Well, maybe after Dalton. We all really liked Dalton's films, which goes to show that maybe that sort of straight edged, harder kind of character is a great take on the Bond character that we've all kind of appreciated that style. I tell you, I tell you something that would describe Bond in many ways, but never straight edge. <laughs> yeah, that's the last one. And, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. and also clean living. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. <laughs> on your term, you always use the term uh, tropes, Steve. It's, I love that. It's like uh, this it's like a species of freshwater fish or something. It's a word I never even used till we started this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll go. have a trope in chips, please. <laughs> film, film critic that, that lingo. That quite good, good for the, the common trope. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's such a predictable river. Fuck you guys. <laughs> the fish yep. are always just driving themselves right up to the fucking hook, you know? The fish so that- just giving themselves away. That uh, that's us done then for the films. We have finished, and in a way, we've finished the project in terms of watching the films and ranking them on the podcasts. We now have the last hurdle, which is the actual ranking episodes. We will need to sort of discuss when and how we're going to do these. Um, do you know, I just have to say, like, we have to acknowledge the fact that the scope of this project has been so long and so kind of varied and wide that when we started this. There was no such thing as COVID. Steve's yeah. missus wasn't expecting like a baby. <laughs> like I mean, I, 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 I you didn't have a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, any job. Yeah, any job at all. Let alone a really good one now. But like, yeah, uh, I mean, like you know, and I'm sure like you know, um, the two uh, like Gordon and Steve and Barry, like your lives have changed a bit because you had moved into your your uh, your house, Steve, didn't you? Um, round about that kind of time. So I Gordon. can't remember. Yeah, I mean, I was a, I was a sort of loser failing author renting a, a flat in middle of Glasgow and since then I'm well I'm still a loser uh, failing <laughs> author living in Glasgow yeah my life's uh, changed quite a bit eh? well, you're, course, hey, I think you're, you're the only one you're on, you were on TV really I know you've become uh, a that's TV the one star thing, but... oh yeah yeah well that's the thing like I mean it just goes to show doesn't it I mean if we sat down at the start of this and like looked into a crystal ball and tried to imagine what would have happened in 2020 do you know what I mean like that, or that 12 months the next year, I don't think. Long uh, yeah, I don't think anyone predicted COVID. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, so it's that's... the one change, but uh, quite a big change, I think, for me. And unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be twenty twenty one as well. It's looking like uh, this is going to be sticking around for a while. Um, but... I still think there's going to be an alien invasion towards the end of this year. Hmm. Yeah, so, uh, possibly. We better try and get things wrapped up before the alien invasion, obviously. But uh, it's been a labour of love for me. I mean, you know how much of a like, Bond fan. 
I'm just to, to do this whole thing and you know, we've all got a lot out of it, I think. And with me, it's been more the the comparison between films because I've never watched them all in sequence from, you know, including the Daniel Craig films. I think once I did it up to die another day, but it's uh, for me, it's like, give me a chance to compare film to film properly. It really does help the appreciation for, like, seeing where they were at and, like, how they how they progressed over the years and kind of doing the background research, you know, basic background research to kind of see why certain decisions were made in the sort of changing times and how they impacted the franchise. It's been fun for me. Uh, I, I was a casual Bond fan. I'm now probably much more um, of a really kind of serious Bond fan now. I feel like I know a lot about the franchise. I know a lot about the, the crew behind the scenes from watching all the documentaries and the bonus discs of the films. So yeah, it's just been fun. It's been great. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to battling you guys on trying to rank these films. We'll probably discuss off-air. We don't want to take too much time on this, discussing what we'll do with that. But uh, yeah, we will try and get that sorted over a, a few days, probably try and get some ranking episodes sorted and how we're going to do that. Very quickly, we also will mention that Tom Hardy is looking very likely to be announced as the new Bond to appear after... Daniel Craig. It's I think nearly every news company is kind of reporting it some in some form. It's although I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but it's looking very likely. What's our very quick thoughts on that? I think it's going to be. I, I'm really looking forward to him being Bond if he is Bond. Yeah, I think he'll be great. Yeah, I think it's weird considering his age might be a bit of an issue. He's 43 himself, which feels like you know you want to get four films out of him at least. That could take him to his 60s. The way that they're going with these films every five years they get them made. Um, but yeah, it's, it'd be interesting. I wonder how his style will be, if it's going to be a harder kind of keeping with the Daniel Craig version or if they, they try and bring some humour back to the franchise. The, but that's very The risky. question is, as well, like, where's the franchise going to go? Because I think there's, again, I think the whole thing about a change of actor is just speculation alone, but there's also been a lot of speculation that obviously Michael Wilson's really getting on, uh, Barbara Broccoli a bit as well and they've been they've been going to this for so long are they possibly going to sell up the way the world's going to and another big company you know takes over the franchise uh, I think I, I agree with what you said Steve that I think they will go for a with the, the new Bond actor they will go for a, a kind of lighter tone like they did with, with Roger and with Brosnan I would love them to if they can nail it it's very tricky because the, the my favourite films are the ones that are more serious and um, less humorous because the ones that have had humor for me have dated worse but there's probably a way to do it I think I mean, and I want going to see back it. going through Tom Hardy's back catalog I'm not seeing a lot of humor yeah. so I don't know Bron if, Bronson if they, yeah <laughs> if they are trying to make a lighter but I, I, I wonder if the the choice of Tom Hardy is a kind of symbol of the direction they're going in because it doesn't he's not the obvious choice I don't think for a kind of lighter type character i hope they it sounds hope like they status, do stick with sounds them. like status quo for me it sounds like they're sticking with a sort that's, of style already that was my thing it, it didn't come to me as a particularly exciting yeah. announcement it, it is kind of sticking with exactly what james bond has always been and particularly a continuation from daniel craig i'm not sure how much he's going to shake it up i mean he might surprise us and do his own thing but 
I, I don't I don't see what he's going to do. As, to long, as long as he doesn't wear some mask and speak with a weird accent or a funny voice, <laughs> uh, she tends to do. Her name is Bond. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like his his voice much. I don't know. I mean, see the likes of Daniel Craig. I think when he was first announced, I couldn't really imagine him as Bond. Seems I can't quite True. imagine Hardy as Bond, but yeah. we'll see. I mean, exactly. We, we, Daniel Craig really surprised a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, completely agree. On that, then, we will finish this podcast, guys. Thanks very much for joining me. We will discuss off-air our plans for the future and world domination, and we will see you at some point when those plans are in full effect. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bottoms up. (laughs) There we go.